This episode of Course Correction is brought to you by Phoenix Rising. Phoenix Rising is a novel by V.S. Griffin. It's the story of one woman's rebirth after having experienced tragedy and loss. Through her experience, she begins to look inward for healing, and in finding herself, she becomes a Phoenix Rising. For the last week, I'd spent my time inside of a bottle using the dark liquid to take the edge off the biting grief I slowly become accustomed to. Phoenix Rising, available in most bookstores and online at www.vsgriffin.com. Now let's start the show. Hey, and welcome to Course Correction. I'm your host, Michelle. And this week I sat down with Camila Thomas, of KBT Counseling and Consulting, PLLC, here in Houston. And I just, I really wanted to have a great talk with her about mental health, Black women, and, you know, just kind of sharing. Um, We talked a little bit about some of our own experiences and what it's like for her as a therapist. So if you, you know, if you're experiencing any contrast right now um, or a moment where that feels like it's tough for you to handle, Uh, please reach out to somebody. Uh, We want you to know that it's okay to need a therapist, okay? So if you want to hear about what she and I talked about and how we kind of got into uh, the stigma of the strong black superwoman, then just keep listening. Let's begin by you sharing with me your zodiac sign so I can properly stereotype you. (laughs) So I am a Virgo. My birthday is August the 25th, so um, I'm a little bit past that uh, cusp between, I think the Leo ends like around August 22nd, 23rd, but I I am a Virgo. Okay, so here's one thing I know um, about the Virgos that uh, I know. They they know a lot. Most of them. (laughs) They they know it all. (laughs) So would you call yourself or would you consider yourself to be um one of those know-it-all Virgos are you just like a are you a listener as well so that's very interesting so I think um for anyone who knew me during childhood and probably early 20s they will probably definitely categorize me as a know-it-all um I think with age um you know you learn and so there was this quote that said uh wisdom listen and knowledge speaks so um, definitely trying to focus more on that. And then just as a therapist now, my role is to listen a lot more. So, yeah, I was going to say that after I said that, I was like, well, that doesn't really make sense because she's a therapist. So she kind of is supposed to listen. Yeah. But I guess, I mean, one thing is like, that's your profession. It's not who you are, you know. Mm-hmm. So are there parts of you that you have to leave out before you go into work? That's a good question. Um, Maybe every now and again, but honestly, I do try to bring my authentic self um, to the therapy room because I mean, that's what I'm expecting from clients, right? So how can someone really get to know me and appreciate me if I'm hiding, you know, little pieces of myself? So, you know, if there's anything that clashes against ethics, then, you know, of course, I definitely want to not do those things. Um, but generally speaking, I, I try to bring my authentic, authentic self. 
I think that's the hardest thing for for people is yeah. to be their authentic self all the time. And I guess it just goes back to, which is probably what you hear a lot of with clients, because I know as a, a human, mm-hmm. a lot of times um, I have things that I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if I want people to know that about me or, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. I mean, even if they're small. Um, but why do you think that is that we struggle so much with being able to be authentic? I think sometimes we don't even know who we are. So it can be difficult for other people to accept and love us for um, the great things about us and the things that I say are work in progress or are areas of growth. Um, I think sometimes um, fear of shame, fear of judgment um, can be barriers for people just to say, this is this is who I am. Yeah. So do you have any tips for people who might be wanting to step into a more authentic space but aren't quite sure how? I think one, it starts with us first, right? So getting real with who who we are. Um, I, at some point, probably a couple of years ago, actually kind of did like a pros and cons list of myself, right? So what are my strengths? And then what are, and I don't call them weaknesses, I call them areas of growth. So that way I could kind of see on paper who I am. So is this reflective of who I want to be? What pieces of this am I willing to work on? And what pieces of these things is like, you know what? They're probably not gonna change, it's just who I am. And so I just really hope that I can build that support system of people who can love me in spite of because there's so many other great things uh, about me but once you know a person can grow to love and accept themselves it makes it easier for other people to be able um, to love them um, and to be to accept them for who they are yeah I actually did that last week I feel like (laughs) I've had so many um, I, I like to call them like signs where I feel like the universe is speaking to me and giving me, you know, an affirmation of I'm doing the right thing for myself and, you know, for what I'm trying to do. But I just did that last week, um, made lists of the things that I wanted to work on. Mm-hmm. And then a while back, I made a list of goals and then also the long list of things that I'm grateful for and, you know, what I like about myself. Right. Um, I think it's it's really been a long time coming because those lists where you have to look at what may or may not be viewed negatively, those are the hard, the hard ones. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the most difficult thing I probably have had to do just because there's pain there, you know, Mm -hmm. when you have to look at who you are, who you have been, you know, where you'd like to go. Um, So have you ever, well, have you personally has it been hard for you to look at yourself ever in a way? I mean, as, as a therapist, I guess I, I'm not trying to put you on a pedestal, but to me, you're, you know, you're a healthcare professional. You're, mm-hmm. you're um, a therapist. I am not, I am just a human experiencing life. So, I mean, as a professional and a, as a therapist, how, is it hard for you sometimes to look at you? Of course. Um, And I think it's been an ever-changing road. Um, We also have to be ready for what we see. And are we really ready to do the work that's necessary for us to become and develop and grow into this person that we're saying that we want to be? And so, um, you know, you mentioned 
pain being there. And so even though I'm a therapist, you mentioned earlier that that is my occupation, but I'm a person first. And so just because I'm a therapist does not mean that I have not experienced life, that there hasn't been trauma, that there hasn't been reasons for why I am who I am. And so, you know, one of the things about therapy is that one, therapists have therapists too, right? <laughs> um, and so we have to make sure that we are doing our own work so that way we are not unintentionally harming other people through trying to heal ourselves through other people. You know, and so growth and change can be very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. Um, and so I think acknowledging what we don't like, why we don't like it, um, where did this, those things come from, right? So if you're impatient, if you're depressed, if you're anxious, if you have an anger management issue, if there's self-esteem, where did those things come from? Because we weren't just born into those things. Some things could be genetic, but then there's still a lot of room where we can still kind of control or manage some other things about ourselves. And so, you know, there's a difference from saying, okay, well, I don't like this about myself, but at, do I do I not like it enough to do something about it? And right. sometimes that's where people get, get stuck and that's okay. So if they just say, you know, I acknowledge what's going on, but I'm not ready and willing to do the work. That's okay. Just understand that there may be some repercussions, some consequences that come with that. Right. And, and in my process of change and growing, you know, that can be difficult for people too, because we have taught people how to treat us, right? People have certain <laughs> expectations of us. So as we're changing, people are like, well, wait a minute, well, what's really going on? Is she acting funny now? Is she this? No, 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 I'm just growing and changing. And so as it's uncomfortable for me, it can be uncomfortable for other people, but it's necessary because I value and respect myself more than someone else pushing against my boundaries or someone else being uncomfortable about who it is that I want to be. Yeah. Definitely. You know, I was going to say that actually before you said about, um, you know, therapists have therapists too, because I feel like that's something that people use to sometimes discredit folks. Mm. And I don't think that's necessary because I feel like, like you said, as a human, it's to be expected that you would have the same type of feelings as those who have chosen to go into different professions. Mm -hmm. And I commend you guys for, you know, sitting down each week, each day with people who, are brave enough to come and say, okay, well, this is what I'm experiencing. And I'm mm -hmm. glad that it's kind of on the upswing because I feel like specifically for our community, there's so much damage, you know, beginning with how people came to America from mm -hmm. the very, I mean, just from the inception of black American, there's, there's trauma there. Mm -hmm. And it's hard, like even looking back and thinking about how I grew up, how my family interacted everyone tried you know what i mean everyone tried but because you are already coming from a place that's not whole you can't expect to deliver a full lesson to mm -hmm. your kids you know so i think it's important for us as adults to be seeking even if because for me i can do a lot by myself now there's a lot that i will need a professional for but a lot of people mm -hmm. are not equipped to say, okay, well, I'm going to look at myself and I'm going to do it alone because uh -huh. of the, the, you know, molestation and, you know, sexual abuse or physical abuse, other issues that are there, but that's just so hard to unpack. Uh -huh. So what makes you want to be a mental health professional? So 
Um, full transparency, when I was in undergraduate um, school, I actually wanted to be an attorney. Um, and so my, my major was criminal justice. I minored in psychology just because I've kind of always liked the way the mind worked. Um, and throughout high school and college, I was that friend where everyone would come to to talk about their different problems and people, you know, felt like I listened and gave really positive feedback, but I wanted to be an attorney. And so um, after graduate school, I had a, a co-op and um, it was with the Department of Juvenile Justice in North Carolina. And so, you know, that was a good mix of being in the community, but also in the courtroom. But what I found was that there were so many kids who just, um, I mean, these were your at-risk kids, right? So there was truancy, there was substance abuse. Obviously, they're involved in the juvenile justice system, so they were committing crimes. But as I got to really build relationships with them, I found out that they were, they were hurting, that there had been abuse, that there were so many other things going on in their lives that led them to make these really poor decisions. They would go to gangs because they were looking for that sense of family, right? There was peer pressure. They wanted to be accepted. They didn't know who they were, all of these things. So at that time, my role was just so punitive and I said I'm not helping these kids because it was you committed a crime this is what the court is telling you you need to do and if you don't then you get locked up or I extend your probation but I'm not helping um, mm -hmm. and so that kind of was the start of me getting into the helping profession because I wanted to be more preventative if I could find a way to help people in the early stages then you know I could give them the, the skills the resources the support the encouragement to help them be able to make better decisions for their life so from there I went into foster care um, you know Know, then I got my master's in social work and I think that really just kind of opened up the door for me for the possibilities and so over um, my 14 year career I've done so many different things working in psychiatric hospitals you know now in private practice in child abuse and neglect um, and so it literally hurts me to see people hurting it, it just does um, and so I just want to be able to empower people to help them heal, to give them support and encouragement for them to be able to live their best life. Because so many people just don't know what to do. They are experiencing life the best way they know how with the skills and the resources that they have. But we know sometimes when we know better, I at least didn't have the option and the knowledge to then make a choice if I want to do better or not. Right, because it is still ultimately just the choice. Do I want to go to therapy? Mm -hmm. You know, I was just talking to um, someone yesterday about somebody I know who um, is in a halfway house now, a young man, and he never really had uh, the tools mm -hmm. given to him to be at his age where I guess not where he should be, because I feel like people take time to do whatever but in a better position for him because, you know, he's just recently been released from jail for however many times, mm -hmm. but he's so bright and has so much potential, but doesn't see that in himself. Mm -hmm. I was just talking about how much I wanted him to, to get to the point where he saw himself for the way, you know, other people do. And this other person was like, people just don't know how to do that, how to get mm -hmm. started. You know, it's like you said, so I just really encourage everyone, if you don't know what to do or where to start, please go talk to a mental health professional because there's really nothing. I guess a problem I have, too, is that in our community, we look at seeking assistance for mental health issues as a it's a something's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. But I look at it like that because it's I mean, 
every person could use therapy. Every person, mm -hmm. any person who's ever encountered other people, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because because that's how you become damaged or or hurt is just through interactions. I mean, other people are not are may, maybe not intentionally hurting you. But if you carry that with you instead of leaving it where it is or saying that's not me just because they said uh -huh. it, you now you need therapy because now you're carrying it with you, you know. So what's one of the hardest things you've ever had to cope with as a therapist, do you think? Just the pain from others? Honestly, um, I do a really good job of not carrying um, that vicarious trauma um, home with me. Um, I think for me, specifically being in private practice is when um, I encounter clients who are suicidal. That's probably the most challenging just because we don't always have the support as if we're in an agency. Um, and so just kind of being able, having to handle that on, on your own. So I can ask all the questions. I can provide the support. I can, I mean, there've been times where I've had to call HPD or I'm actually in Bel Air. So Bel Air PD, you know, to kind of come and do an assessment. I'm recommending that this person actually be hospitalized for, you know, suicidal ideation. And, um, you know, sometimes it, it, it doesn't happen. Um, so I think that's the most challenging um, part in my in my current role. But ultimately, you know, I've understanding that I can't make anyone do anything at the end of the day is, you know, freedom of choice. Um, but that's one reason why I'm very serious about providing quality care. So if something happens, I have a clear conscience and then, you know, ethically, <laughs> I'm not held liable if someone still chooses to take their own life or do something, you know, contrary to what we're, we're talking about in session. That really has to be frustrating to be saying this person must be hospitalized. They really need help. Uh -huh. And then everyone's going, sorry, no can do. Uh -huh. And then you kind of watch them walk away, you know. Right. That would be very difficult for me because I kind of, when I interact, even with clients who are creative clients, people just doing business, um, if they don't take the advice that, you know, that comes to me and I see mm -hmm. this is the clear path that if you take this, the XYZ will take place. They're like, no, I don't think so. And I guess that I could just have to I'm not be able to own it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Kind of like. No, because otherwise I would probably be a mess thinking about, gosh, why didn't they just make the right decision or, you know what I mean? I guess that's just comes from being uh, a woman, sensitive, feeling emotional about everything. So is that um, kind of what led you to um, start strong black superwoman syndrome? Yeah. That's why I was kind of going with that because I feel like I have to own everything. Like mm -hmm. I'm the, the, the savior of all the people I encounter. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why, but I feel like that might be a thing for, you know, black women, I guess. Cause I think even again, going back to slavery for mm -hmm. the boss of everything, except for everything, you know what I mean? They kind of leave you to run it mm -hmm. the house anyway. Do you think we carried any of that with us? And is that kind of why you started the strong black woman syndrome seminar this this upcoming month yeah absolutely um you mentioned you know maybe some of this going back to slavery so i think there's a piece of it as women we just are generally speaking you know um 
more just nurturing and we're wanting to take care. But even when slavery, if you think about it, you know, a lot of times we had to care for the master's children when we weren't even able to be home to care for ours. We were having to breastfeed their children. And, you know, did we have enough breast meat for our own children? Right. We were in their homes cooking and cleaning and all of those things. Um, and we did we have time to take take care of our own. Um, so I think there's bits and pieces of that. But um, for the strong black woman syndrome or schema, there's actually been tons of different articles and different research uh, about that. But what um, led me to be able to put on this event was my private practice is 99% African American female. And these are, you know, highly educated, high functioning women. So, I mean, I've had doctors, I've had scientists, I've had, you know, people who work for oil and gas companies and, and these large healthcare organizations. But what I found was there what seemed to be a similar theme on, you know, just a common thread of challenges that I was talking about over and over and over and over again. And these are your everyday women, right? Some of this was like, you are so dope and so cool to hang out with, right? Ethical boundaries. I can't. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, this is this is your everyday woman. So I said, it can't just be these people who are coming into my office, right? And so why don't we open up this conversation to be able to have with the community to really talk about what's going on? How can we engage and network and support each other while having this thought-provoking conversation about what is keeping us and making us feel like we have to be quote-unquote strong? Is that helping or hurting us? Why do we feel that way? Where do we learn these messages? So um, for the talk, there's actually five different traits um, and characteristics that make up that strong black woman's schema. And so those will be part of the conversation. So I'll just kind of briefly go through them. But one is the obligation to have to manifest strength, right? So whatever that looks like. Sometimes it's the obligation to suppress our emotions. Being resistant to being vulnerable feeling determined to succeed despite very limited resources. And then the last one is the obligation to kind of help others where we're putting other people's needs above our own. And so talking about those things, what does that, you know, look like? And so now what, where do we go from here? Right. Everything that you just said, I feel like I feel or have felt regularly. And I mean, part of that is because I'm a single mom. So, you know, the job is all mine. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I get the slightest bit of assistance, it still goes back to, well, what y'all going to do? You know what I mean? I guess I have to figure it out. And then at work, I'm also, you know, just like you said, because we are very, we're intelligent, mm-hmm. skilled, like any. <laughs> The most intelligent I, is really what I'm what I'm going for because I feel like we are the computers. So mm-hmm. even at work, I see myself and other Black women get thrown into all these crazy, crazy situations where we instantly have to figure something out with mm-hmm. no information, and it's just like, well, I guess you just better do it, like from thin air. So it's like you said, manifesting strength. How? Because I feel like I'm underneath a ton of bricks. Uh-huh. And just, you know, being asked to create all these things with little to nothing. So I think this is a really important conversation. And I mean, I'm not sure how it happens either. So I'm interested to, you know, to attend the event and kind of join the conversation and see what you guys come up with. Because 
at this point, it's like, if we even say, I'm tired, uh-huh. it, well, why are you tired? You know, then then you get the the backside of that, which is like, like you're really doing so much. So then you kind of feel like, well, maybe I shouldn't be tired. Maybe I need to find a way to be grateful for this exhaustion. You know what I mean? Instead of just kind of standing in it and saying, I need a break. Uh-huh. Like, and I, I mean, I kind of feel like a lot of these people who, and then this is a terrible topic, but it's just, I mean, it's the truth that happens. People who kill their kids. I'm like, those people need, number one, they need therapy. Number two, they uh-huh. need a break. Uh-huh. A lot of because I know it's tiring. I mean, I deal with it every day where it's just you. You don't get a break. But you have to figure out a way to walk away. You know uh-huh. what I mean? So if that requires you to go talk to a therapist, please do. Um, so what what was it like for you growing up with your own Black mom? Did you guys grow up together? Okay, I don't want to say that if your mom was passed away. No. Um, <laughs> did you see her experience any of those traits? Um, well, so I, I grew up in a, a two-parent household. Um, mm-hmm. Parents are, are still um, married going on, I believe, 45 years this September. Um, pretty upper middle class. Um, but they kind of had traditional gender roles in the sense of parenting my mom was a lot more hands-on so she knew when the report cards were coming out she was there for the games and both of my parents worked you know full-time corporate jobs um but she was just kind of more hands-on in that way and then my dad was more you know of of the provider um so i mean i think i had a pretty pretty balanced childhood I saw them both kind of you know engaging in both my sister and in our our lives so I don't necessarily think I saw those type of traits my mom is a lot more quiet um you know her focus is really just trying to make sure that the family is okay um you know her parents passed away her sisters are um in two different states so you know she relied on my dad and then my grandmother who was my mom my dad's mom you know would come down and kind of help take care of her um i do think my dad did a pretty good job of um allowing her or just kind of giving her breaks so for instance um like on saturday sometimes he would take my sister and i to you know just run around and just do different things to give my mom a break or um when my mom would come home after a long day of work and being in traffic for an hour to two hours it was like hey when your mom comes home like let her go to her room for like 30 minutes or an hour just kind of you know relax change clothes wind down for the day before you know you guys start mommy 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 i need this i need this i need this so i think he was pretty in tune with her to kind of give a break um so that's good. Um, it sounds like you and I could probably have a, a similar type of upbringing. My mom and dad were together, married for 27 years before he passed away. And it was sort of like you said, you know, me and my sister and my mom and dad kind of balanced everything together. But when he passed away, I saw mm. the stress come out, you know, and then there was things that she didn't tell us about, you know, maybe how their inner workings really were. Mm-hmm. And even when I spoke to um, my friend Fernando um, a couple years ago, we had a mediumship where, you know, he broke the spirits or whatever. My dad to speak to me 
Hmm. And he kind of apologized for for that, for how he wasn't doing all that he was supposed to be doing to help my mom. Mm -hmm. Because after, you know, everything comes out about how she's kind of got a, she's sort of been juggling things by herself. And, you know, now she really has to. So I've watched her like the last 20 years pretty much turn into kind of that have to be the strong, always present, always taking care of everything. And I, I urge her to go talk to a therapist because, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like the older that she gets, the more resentful she becomes about her role as that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I would like to, I guess, prevent, you know, because, uh, because I, I have already been doing it now for 14 years or by myself, you know, uh, parenting. But I'm, I'm trying to get to a point where I don't have those feelings, mm-hmm. where I set my own boundaries while I, I tell them, and this is what I talked about uh, two weeks ago on the show, setting boundaries with my kids. Mm-hmm. Because I don't have somebody to say, hey, you need to give your mom a break. So I have to say, I need this break right now. Right. Um, so do you have any tips for uh, boundary setting for your, your patients? So what I would say, know what they are first, because it's going to be hard to enforce something to someone that we don't even know what they what they are. So generally speaking, um, there are poor boundaries, there are healthy boundaries, and then on the other extreme, there are rigid boundaries. And so a lot of times I do um, spend some time, and there's a worksheet that kind of actually outlines um, the different traits and characteristics that make up all of those three different types of boundaries for people to, one, understand where they are now. And so sometimes the boundaries could be fluid, right? So you could have really poor boundaries, maybe in like intimate relationships and like rigid boundaries where maybe it's like somebody in your family (laughs) who you've had like a toxic relationship with. But generally speaking, we have one, you know, general type. Um, And so then outside of that, there's other types of boundaries. So there's physical boundaries, there's sexual, sexual boundaries, there's material boundaries, there are emotional boundaries, right? So once I can provide people with those type of information, that type of information, then they can say, okay, so this is my, how I typically operate. And these are the types of boundaries that people in my life overstep. So why is that? So a lot of things happen in childhood. So where did you learn how to set boundaries? What are the challenges that prevent you from being able to say no? Because saying no is a boundary, Mm -hmm. right? So is it fear of rejection? Are you a people pleaser because you want to be liked? Is it low self-esteem? If you say no, you're worried about people leaving you, right? So once we can kind of get to the core root and what the issue is, then it makes it a lot easier. See, a lot of times we just go through life, we're functioning, we're doing things, but we have no idea why. Mm-hmm. Once I- we say, once we know why, then we can catch it, right? It's like, mm-hmm. okay, wait a minute, this is what, where this is coming from, this is why I'm doing this. So again, let me then try to do something different. Sometimes there's a perception of, you know, I think I talked about already like the fear and the judgment or whatever, but ultimately it's being able to put ourselves first, which is not selfish. And a lot of times people think that if I put myself first, even if that means over the kids, over relationships or jobs that makes them suffer, and it's like, no, it's, it, it doesn't. The boundaries help protect us. And yeah. boundaries only push away people who don't have our best attentions at hand. And so sometimes we keep people around us. Well, I need these people. And, well, if I set this boundary, someone else is going to get mad. And then what happens? 
generally speaking, the people who are really invested in us and really love and care about us, the boundaries are not going to push them away. The boundaries only push people away who are kind of taking advantage of us. And so then we have to be okay. The relationships that I have, is it based on quality or quantity? So yes, sometimes the boundaries may push people away, but what was the benefit of them being in your life? Was it just to hold the space or are they really contributing and adding value to your life? I have a lot of clients and um, I'm in the process of reading just the regular boundaries book, not the one for the kids, but just the, yep, mm-hmm. But you know what? In reading this book, I was able to turn it back, some of it, to mom and just say, you know, even though this is for with kids it's still these boundaries to still Mm -hmm. like it's important for you to have them and i think i'm at 35 now just like starting to be able to say no to to different things and setting Mm -hmm. better boundaries because my poor mama i mean my first teacher is like i don't know what that is Mm -hmm. you know and i can't i'm not upset with her you know i can't even blame her for it because you know even going back to like we were talking about uh having to go care for white families my my grandma had a job she had to Mm -hmm. go into another household so you know maybe mom didn't learn what she needed to know either so i think you know as far as um setting boundaries goes it is it is a problem of people pleasing or wanting to feel secure because i know for me for a long time it was well these people might not like me if i say Mm -hmm you know, F you, or for lack of better praising, but, you know, I don't care anymore. But mm-hmm. that only comes from that that introspection and looking at yourself. And once you're okay with you, you don't mm-hmm. care if other people mess with you on that level, you know, because you, you rock with you, you know what I mean? Right. And while I do think we need people, I don't think everyone is necessary. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes we're keeping people around us because we're not able to to set better boundaries. So tell me some more about the event. And what's so the event will be next Sunday, July the 14th from 2 to 6 p.m. It will be at the Guide Gallery, which is kind of in the Third War area um, off of Alabama Street. The Guide Gallery um, is a Black-owned African art gallery, which is absolutely beautiful. So when I was thinking about the venue, I wanted something small and intimate just to kind of, um, you know, create the atmosphere that I, that I was looking for. So um, the first hour or so, allowing people to trickle in, there'll be some light bites and some beverages. Um, we will have full access to the gallery. So for people to kind of get comfortable with themselves and then um, be able to kind of engage in the conversation for about an hour or two. And then there'll be time at the end again for people to kind of ask questions. Where do we go from here? Um, and continue to engage and network uh, with each other. And then also view 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 the gallery. So I mentioned earlier about the five different um, traits of the strong black woman's superwoman syndrome, excuse me. Um, so those would be the things that we're we're talking about. So I wanted to keep it small. Um, it won't be any more than 20 women there. Um, and so again, the purpose is to just kind of engage in this healthy conversation, to be a little bit vulnerable with each other, um, to show that we are not alone in facing this, right? So when it comes to like shame, Brene Brown, who I just absolutely love, um, she talks about that there are three things that keep shame going, judgment, silence, and secrecy. Mm, okay. So I think the more we're able to kind of talk and be open and honest, that will kind of help us move past this.
Because I think at this point, you know, this whole I'm strong, I'm a strong black woman is starting to hurt us. And even though black may not crack on the outside, it's doing so much just internal damage in regards to, you know, our mental health, our physical health, um, how stress shows up and affects our, you know, our body emotionally, physically, behaviorally. And so that was something that was really important to me to try to combat. Um, the other thing is that July is National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, and so I wanted to kick off this event for this month in July. Okay, that that is uh, important. And I want to tell you this, this is going to sound really weird, but when we met initially at the uh, No Boys Allowed documentary uh, mm-hmm. thing, we're still trying to do that, by the way. Uh, I I noticed that everyone was really comfortable whenever, you know, you were sharing with them and they were sharing with you and people did mm-hmm. cry. I yeah. Remember. So I'm expecting for, to mm-hmm. see some cry, probably me, maybe me. <laughs> I don't know. Um, th- this next weekend. So um, I really appreciate you coming and talk to me about this and, you know, just sharing a little bit with, with me about, um, you know, yourself and, and how you feel about black women and mental health. Yeah, I'll say that. Thank you so much for having me. This is totally a passion of mine. And so, you know, I had a talk with God probably about a year ago, like, what is my purpose? And this was something that he laid on me. And it has totally been a faith walk to leave my full time secure job to step out into private practice, you know, into the unknown, not really sure what my niche was. And so, like I said, the practice is 99% African-American female. And I, you know, continue to get people reaching out. I saw your website and it just spoke to me. So it's something that I take serious. You know, I've had my own journey um, through this process. And so I'm just here to be a servant and just to help us. Yeah. Well, I'll probably be reaching out to you again. I mean, what I would really like to do is I know you have to go because you have a client in a minute, but um, I just I want to have a, a regular show like yeah Oprah. So I probably will need you know contributors regularly, people who know what they're talking about. Um, so that's kind of what <laughs> that that's kind of that's kind of what this show um, course correction has kind of been about was me meeting people or people I already know just to get to get them sort of more in front of my audience because. Mm-hmm. I feel like people need to know about uh, mental health. They need to know it's okay to go see a therapist. They need to feel mm-hmm. like it's okay because it's me and you both now saying it's okay. Mm-hmm. So um, that's really what this has been about. And I'm glad that you mentioned purpose because that's kind of my thing right now is moving towards my purpose and helping others do the same. So mm-hmm. I hope that anybody who listens to this episode, that will really resonate with them. So can you tell people how to find you if they want to come and see you? Absolutely. So my website is www.kbtcounseling.com. I am also on Facebook and Instagram at KBT Counseling. Um, I can be reached by telephone at 346-800-7543. I also um, have mental health t-shirts that you can get on my website and you can still access it the website through Instagram and Facebook under the shop now button. Um, They have been um, selling out pretty well, especially in some of the um, speaking engagements that I've been. I'll have a new shipment in, um, should be delivered tomorrow. So um, 
I'm not sure when this is going to be posted, but if for some reason you don't see your size, you can always send me um, a DM, a message, an email, and I can order something for you. But those are the best ways to find me. Awesome. So I'll be grabbing a t-shirt and I appreciate you coming on. Like I said, thank you. You're welcome. Have a great session. All right. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay. So that was this week's episode. I appreciate everybody who stayed to listen. And yeah, so just, you know, I've been saying that I want people to reach out to me because I want to know who I'm talking to. I know I have listeners in some of everywhere, but specifically uh, this week, I think I'm going to choose a spot. I'm going to choose a place. And if you're listening to this, if you hear this and this is your locale, uh, go ahead and shoot me a DM or post something, tag me something, and let me know that you are indeed listening. So I'm choosing Glasgow, England, okay, or Great Britain. If you are from there and you're listening to me, send me a little note and let me know what you like about the show. Maybe if you'd like to see me, maybe I can set my intention and get out there to see you. All right. So thanks again for listening and I will see you guys next week. All right. Bye.